aboard the MBIT Podcast with Seamus Medan. Welcome everyone to the MBIT Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Medan, and today we have on a very special guest, Brian Scudamore, the founder and CEO of O2E Brands. Brian's story is anything but traditional. At the age of four, he drew a picture of himself hauling away junk, but little did he know he'd build a $700 million company doing so. Under the OTE umbrella is where it all started, with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and then with a couple of other brands like Wow One Day Painting and Shack Shine. Then, in 2018, he published a number one Amazon best-selling book called WTF and detailed the importance of failure for success. So first off, thank you, Brian, for taking the time to join the show. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Yeah, no, happy to be here, Seamus. I don't get to say this very often, but when I started my business, I was almost your age. I mean, <laughs> come on, you're 17 years old. How often does that happen that you're interviewing someone, you know, a successful entrepreneur and many, many successful entrepreneurs? So I'm humbled to be in your company here as someone you're interviewing. And uh, it sort of takes me back. I'm like, you know, kids, you know, you're 17 years old. I was 18 when I started my business. And I think people underestimate youth. But look what you're capable of and fantastic. So thanks for including me. I appreciate it. Can't wait to learn more about your journey, especially starting off that young as well. So let's start off for those in the audience who may not know your story. Would you mind sharing how you first came across the junk industry and then why you decided to build a business around it? Well, ultimately, I was looking to pay for college. Simple goal was just looking to fund my college education. I was actually one course short of graduation. And I talked my way in to university. My parents were not going to fund my education because I didn't finish high school and didn't have the bare minimum. And so one day I was in a McDonald's drive-thru. I was in the beat-up old pickup truck in front of me in, in line, plywood sides built up on the box. The truck was filled with junk. And I looked at that truck and I'm like, I need a way to pay for college. I've talked my way into college. That was my ticket. I went and bought a truck. I had $700. Actually, $1,000 was my life savings. I had $700 that I put towards a pickup truck, the rest towards flyers and business cards. And shortly thereafter, a week later, I had a business. We were called the Rubbish Boys. It was really just me, but I had a name and a vision for something bigger. And off I went, hauling away junk, funding my college education, and quickly realizing I was learning much more about business, running a business, more than studying in school, and made a tough decision to drop out with just a year left of my degree. And how did some of your friends in college think about you starting a business, especially around junk at that time? I, d I don't know if they understood or saw, as I didn't as well, a vision to build something bigger at that moment. But I think they were envious that I was my own boss, that I was making good money. and But you know, they looked at this business and thought, it's just junk removal. Brian chose not to go to college. That's his choice. I don't think that they really saw a future that I did, which was ultimately, let's build an incredible brand with awesome people. And today to have a $700 million company across three countries, I feel proud, not of the size of the business necessarily, but, but the scope and the people we brought into building this incredible dream of business ownership, not just for myself, but for other entrepreneurs. We've created a franchise model, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Similar to McDonald's, you've got people who have skin in the game, that they've got ownership. And we've done that with all our businesses. We actually have three businesses, by the way. So not just 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the first baby in the family, but we got into the painting business. Wow, one day painting where we paint people's homes in a day. 
And then we've got Shackshine, which is windows, gutters, power washing, and Christmas lights. We're in the house detailing business. So all three businesses afford us the opportunity to attract other entrepreneurs who don't have a recipe, a formula to follow, and they join forces with us and build some great businesses and great lives. Definitely. And that brings up brings us up to speed to today. So would you mind sharing your business today and how you came up with the idea to combine multiple businesses under one roof? Yeah, it's interesting. They're not really combined, so to speak. It's it's like a family. I've got three kids as well. So let me look at myself and my wife as parents. We have three kids. You can't combine them. They're all different, different right. personalities, different interests, and so on. O2E Brands, which stands for Ordinary to Exceptional, is the parent company that I started, that we manage, that has three different businesses that are related in one sense. So like kids, they're related, they're home services, but they're very, very different, each and every one of them. What we stand for is exceptional service. So we find the right people. As my hat says today, it's all about people. That is one thing that I could impart to a a Generation Z audience is find the right people, treat them right the rest will follow. In every business we chase that we want to build, we know if we find the right people and take care of those people, they will take care of the customer. If we take care of the customer, they will take care of the growth of our profit, our opportunity, our revenue, and so on. So the idea to put them all together under one umbrella, so to speak, was really just, I wasn't completely satisfied with one business. I wanted more. And 22 years later, after starting 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I took on my second challenge of Wow One Day Painting. Yeah, and you mentioned franchising a little bit earlier. How have you been able to scale those businesses using a franchise model? And then how has that been a key component to the growth of your company? Well, you know, I know you're a little bit about you that you're in the VC world. So you're taking other people's money and investing and buying businesses and growing them. I'm doing the same thing, but my method of other people's money is we charge a franchise fee They come in like a McDonald's and they get the playbook, the proven recipe, the support of the team that says, we're behind you. You're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And so franchising is a model that I love. It's interesting because I didn't understand franchising in the beginning to think that there was a bit of, that it had some glamour and sexiness to the industry until I met Shaquille O'Neal during the pandemic, Shaq spoke at our conference. And after our conference, he said, hey, I want to invest in one of your businesses. I love what you guys are doing. Let's chat. So we became buddies. We got to chat a little bit through some phone calls, Zoom, and and having a lunch. And I remember what what he said to me is he goes, listen, not everybody, because I asked him, why is he in franchising? He's like the franchise king. Why, Shaq, have you built a half a billion dollars of wealth in franchising? He said, listen, I've taken everything from basketball, what I've learned about team building, playing the plays, following a a playbook, putting the right people in the right seats and cheerleading us to to winning. He said, you can do that in business and you buy a franchise. I don't need to be the guy creating the race car. I want to be the guy driving the race car. And it made me realize franchising is actually a pretty cool model and it certainly worked for us. Definitely. And you mentioned your hat. It's all about people. I know throughout this growth now, we discussed how you first became interested in the junk industry a little bit earlier. But how did your passion first develop for this type of business? And I noticed one of the hardships you had to go through was actually firing around 11 people. So why did you decide to make that decision? And what was that journey like? Yeah. So five years into the business, 1994, to be precise, 
Gotcha. This hat, this model of it's all about people is a slogan that was born in my brain. It was born out of hardship. I had 11 people. They say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I think I had nine bad apples. Not that they were bad people, but they were the wrong fit for me. They didn't believe in customer experience. They didn't see this as an opportunity. They saw it as as a negative. And I said, listen, this isn't just a job. I love what I'm doing. And I need people on board that also see that same thing. So I sat down with my team of 11, didn't know who the two good ones were. So I just said, I'm going to wipe out the entire team and start again. Now, it was my failure to be clear, Seamus. This was not their problem. This was mine. I sat down with all 11 people and said two words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I let you down, didn't give you the love and support, the guidance you needed to be successful in this business. I might have picked the wrong people. We'll never know. But what I know is I don't know how to get people to the other side of creating this incredible business together. And I had to start from scratch. I had to bring new people in, people that saw the spark that I I could see. They could feel the energy of this is an incredible business. We are going to transform. We used to say we are going to build the FedEx of junk removal, clean, shiny trucks, friendly, uniform drivers, on-time service, upfront rates. To do that, I needed the right people. So I got these 11 out. And it was painful trying to rebuild the business, going from five trucks down to one, trying to rebuild and hire people that understood what the vision was and what the possibility of this business was. And off we went, we rebuilt. And you know, today to have over 6,000 employees across the system, that would have never happened if we didn't figure out who are the right people. And then the leadership, which I had to learn and our team had to learn of how to treat those people right. Yeah, and especially in today's economy, we're seeing that a lot. And it's one of the topics we spoke with a little bit about with Bill George, who was the former CEO of Medtronic. But with layoffs being a very persistent thing that we're starting to see, how should leaders be able to handle these types of things and handle hardships in a business during difficult times? You've got to preserve the core, I think, that, you know, layoffs happen. I've been through them in my own world, my own life and business. They're unfortunate. You don't like to let people go, but make sure you keep the real, we call it the God forbid list. Who's on the God forbid you lose these people type of list? Who just can't you afford under any circumstance to lose? During COVID, we made that list and we said, listen, we're going to make sure we keep these people happy and do whatever it takes to, to get through this together. And so in a recessionary time, when this happens, you focus on who can't you afford to lose and the people you do lose, you, you, allow them to keep their dignity. You help them get new opportunities. When we let some people go during COVID, we really tried hard to place them in other businesses that might've been hiring, using some of our relationships, giving them a soft landing. If you believe that it's all about people, you've got to remember that every person you let go is still a person with maybe a family, a heart, a vision. You've got to try and give them the best possible chance at their next go that you can. Yeah, and your point on can't affording to lose certain people is a great one. And we, we've seen that before. For example, when Elon Musk acquired Twitter a little bit a little bit ago for around $44 billion, he actually just straight up fired a whole bunch of people, including people he realized after the fact he couldn't afford to lose. And he ended up mm-hmm. some, sometimes rehiring some of them back, but he couldn't get some of them back. So now that we've come up to this point, you've been throughout this journey. You've had the opportunity to appear on shows such as Oprah and Ellen. And on Ellen, how did you become, I, I noticed by doing a little background into this, the first CEO to join the show in over 19 years of the show being in existence. And how did that come to fruition? 
So it was a part of our, there's a sign behind me. It says, it's kind of fun to do the impossible by Walt Disney. My favorite quote of all time. And what it does is it always plants this, if only you can believe. Walt Disney had to be the only person that believed in his vision to start planting that seed towards making it happen. I wrote down down one day in our painted picture, our vision for the future. I said, we will be on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I said in a separate painted picture earlier, we'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. People thought both of them were nuts. And on the on the surface, they seem crazy. Why would this little tiny junk removal company get on the Oprah show? But what we did is we planted that idea and said, can you imagine if we actually made that happen? And we just worked it and worked it and talked our way into both shows. And Ellen took us years and years to make it happen. So difficult to make it happen that on my last phone call with the producers, there were five of them on the the call on a Zoom. And they said, sorry, you know what? We just don't think after talks that we can make this happen. We've never had a CEO on the show in our 19-year history. And I said, can you imagine if this was the first one? And I was the first. Airbnb was the second. You just have to believe in that possibility and give them a reason to want to help you win. So I've been on Oprah. I've been on Ellen. I've been on Seamus. Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. When I first started my podcast, a couple, even my close friends were like, I don't think this is ever going to work. And I started back in 2020. And to be honest, it was very hard. And there were obviously points in time where I thought, am I ever going to get this actually off the ground? For the first like three to four months, I only had eight listeners, but I kept with it. And I've been able to meet, for example, the Spencer Raskoff, former CEO of Zillow, Tim Draper, and a couple other really cool people. Like you said, it's all about people on your hat. But as we wrap it up here, what would be your top takeaways for the Gen Z audience and entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs who might be listening? Sure. So one of my top takeaways, I'm going to tie back to you for a second. A 17-year-old you got to use your age. And I'm sure you are to your advantage. It opens up doors. You reached out to me and you told me you were 17 and you wanted me to be on your podcast. And I'm like, when someone reaches out and tells you they're 17 and they want you on the podcast, I don't care if you have eight listeners, I'm saying yes. So how do you use your youth to be hungry and eager and want to learn and just make it happen? And I think that, you know, a Gen Z younger than a a Gen Xer like myself, use that. You've got so much to learn and I've got so much to learn. I never stop learning. So every single moment of every day, I'm trying to meet people. I'm trying to learn from from others. I mean, when we hit stop on the, the record button here, I want to learn from you for a minute and find out how did you get Mark Cuban and all these great people to come on your show. It's an incredible story. And I hope to introduce you to someone that you might have on your wish list as well. So just stay hungry, dream the impossible, make big things happen. And and one last thing I'm going to tie back to you. You said a minute ago, Seamus, you said everyone thought you were nuts, you know, that you couldn't do this show. I believe when people are telling you you're telling you your idea is a bad one, you might be on the right track. It's worked for me. I had franchise experts tell me. I went out to a dozen franchise experts. They said, this business cannot be franchised. Are you kidding me? We built a $700 million business out of of something that can't be done. It was only impossible until we made it possible. So thank you for having me on the show. And it's, it's a real honor. 
and can't wait to uh, learn more about you after we hit uh, stop. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show. And for everyone interested in the audience down below, I'll have a link to Brian's book in the episode description. And thank you very much, Brian, for taking the time to join the show. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it.